0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Maryville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, it's great to see you guys here today. And uh, today we'll conclude our, our "I Still Do" series, and uh, been really uh, blessed during this time as we f- focused on our families and just our relationships. And um, excited about wrapping this up, and uh, today, and what God is going to do today, and also excited about next Sunday when we start invest. Um, everybody, say next Sunday. It is an incredible opportunity for us as a church to gather and, and really start a series that's really going to tr- change and, uh, you know, push us into the future. So uh, don't miss the next uh, six weeks as God really unpacks some some big truths. And I'm expecting some big life change throughout this uh, series and I'm um, just excited about it. Uh, but you know, when we think about marriage and when you see all these love stories and, and all these movies that all of our wives love and, and all of the guys, you know, have to sleep through, you know, when we go pay 10 bucks to see a movie, um, we, we see that and, and we, you know, we get kind of, uh, you know, we get that, oh man, yes, that's what I want. You know, that's, that's kind of what we're, we're looking for when we, when we think about relationships, when we think about love, when we think about marriage. But you know, when we got married on that, that wedding day and we said, I do, that, that promise we thought was like a once in a lifetime you know, deal. Like we say I do on that day and then, and then that's it. But what you and I as, as married couples realize is that that's the easy part. That was the easy day. You know, saying I do and making all those promises on our wedding day was, was the easy part. And so little did we know that later, We would have to revisit those vows and revisit those promises and and so that's where when the real hard stuff really begins to set into our, our life. And, and if you want a healthy marriage and a, and a growing marriage, not one that's just you know, hanging around, not just one that you know, you're kind of business partners, not just one that just is making it, we're still together, but you want a healthy growing marriage, then there are several things you've gotta to begin to do. And in the first week when I opened this up, I, I said that you know, a lot of times we look at our problems in our marriage and we think that we, we didn't marry the right person. Instead, we have to view marriage through the lens of God's word and realize that when when problems and situations come into our marriage, relationally speaking, we realize that this is the purpose, like God gives us this other person in this marriage to help us grow closer to him. And so to uncover our selfishness, to reveal just our, our sin in our life, this other person really helps us see more clearly who we are. And so typically though, if you're not focused on Christ, then you get into arguments and you get into blaming each other about why you know, you're not as bad as, you know, you're worse than I am and kind of the back and forth. But when you can reach a level of maturity in your marriages, then you can really begin to, okay, let's wipe away the attitude, let's wipe away how she said it, but let's get to the core issue here. Am I really, is my language towards her uh, or whatever the issue is, is it really disrespectful? Am I really causing her pain with these words? And if so, then this is not just an issue between she and I. This is an issue between myself and my Savior. And if I really want to have a healthy marriage, guys, then I've got to break down the selfishness Break down the ego and the pride and realize that that God gives us these purposes so that I can work through them and grow through them and mature through them. And ultimately the purpose and goal of marriage is Jesus. The goal of marriage is Jesus. And so it's not like to build my personal little happy kingdom so that everybody comes in and serves me. So that first week I said, we've got to stop pursuing our kingdom and start pursuing God's kingdom because when I'm pursuing my kingdom, I beckon everybody to run in and serve me and do everything I want, you know, or what I need. And in the moment somebody doesn't do it the way that I want them to do it or my wife is not fulfilling everything that I, I think or expect she should be fulfilling, then I'm mad and upset and I'm a distant and I'm cold. And that's just not the type of love we see demonstrated in the Bible. It's not the, the, the way that God loves us and it's not the way that, that you and I are called to love our spouse. And so one of the issues though in marriage in general, I think is that, you know, real love oftentimes just doesn't exist in marriage. And that's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to look at so many people in this room and realize that many of you aren't experiencing real love in your marriage, I I'd said this week one, I said that, that my problem, my core problem is not that I don't love Micah enough that 's my wife, by the way. My core problem is that I don't love God enough, because if I loved God enough and I was maturing and deeper in that relationship, then I would be loving her the way that she needs and desires and deserves. and so, so for us, everything is a, it's, it's more spiritually. Between me and God, more so than it is me and my wife. And the same is true for each one of you today that are married. Like the biggest deal that, that's causing the rift and the problems and the tension in your marriage is not necessarily your, sp- your spouse, it's your relationship with God. And so, what we know though is like when we got married, things were great. And, and so, we loved and there was energy and excitement and there was affection and there was intimacy and those things were easy. But over time, it's kind of a slow fade. If you're not actively working on your marriage consistently, there's kind of this slow fade that can can creep in and little by little, you know, one step at a time, you know, we, we have barriers that come in the way and our love for each other and our affection for each other just kind of slowly fade away. And then what is abnormal becomes our new normal. Now this is just a life principle in general and you guys know this to be true but everything in life can become normalized. So no matter what you're experiencing you know it might be weird and awkward at first. Um, Over time we get used to it and then it becomes normal. So you know, when it it began your marriage, you know, maybe he started coming home late from work and the first, you know, few months he was coming later and later home and missing dinner and, and those kinds of things. And at first it really, really bugged you and you got in fights about it, but he continued to be late. And so after a few months of that, eventually you stopped fighting. Eventually you stopped talking about it and you just kind of accepted this is our new normal. And so what is abnormal became your new normal. Let me explain it like this. Some of you guys um, have traveled lately on an airplane. Anybody travel a lot? Okay, a lot, lot of lot of folks traveling. You've all been on an airplane. How many of you've been on an airplane before, Reese? Okay, thank you. So um, I know who I'm talking to here. But so I went um, on a on a flight a few weeks ago and. Um, if, if you've been there, you know this to be true. You walk in and you go through security. And so when you're in the security line, you know, everybody just single files it up, you know, and everybody is quiet and everybody gets their little ticket out and their ID. And so you give it to the person at the front deal and they got the little magnifying, checking and checking off and circling. We don't really know what they're doing there, but we know it's important. And so we wait and they do that. And then we walk into the next line and the next line is, you know, the, the security line where you go through the metal detectors. And so... You know, you get your little plastic tub out, you know, take your shoes off, take your belt off, and then you're holding your pants up so you don't, you know, fall down and empty in your pockets, your cell phone's coming out, your wallet. Everything has to come out, all your change, um, jewelry, if you've got that, if you've got a bag, you know, most of us have a carry-on or something, and so um, you, you've got to take out your laptop your iPad and you know so everything is going on this deal and then they send it through and then you have to go into this full body scanner have you been in the full body scanner yet? It's quite the experience. You think, it feels like you're stepping into like a time machine or something, like they're going to zap you away. And, and so you've got to stand in and then you've got to hold your hands up. And then this thing is like, you know, and I don't know if it's causing cancer or what, it's causing something, you know. And so two second little and it, it sees everything, you know. We're totally exposed at that point. We don't really know what it looks like for the little guy on the other side of the camera, but he's smiling and he knows something's going on. And so I don't know. We just try not to think about it, I guess. And so, um, you know, that deal goes around and so it can see, it sees everything. If you've got weapons, you can't get weapons through there. You know, the little fingernail clippers, you, you're not gonna sneak those through because everybody knows how dangerous fingernail clippers are. little file, you know, you could really do some damage with that. So that's not getting through. That scanner is so good. They, I mean, they can actually tell what you ate for lunch that day. So it's like, this guy had Taco Bell. Make sure he sits in the back of the plane. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, okay. Then you walk through. And then on this particular time, after I go through the time machine scanner, I walk and the lady says, you've been randomly selected. So I've got to step over here now, and so now there's this little you know cloth little deal, and so she's wiping my fingers. You know, I feel like a three year old after eating Cheetos, and so she's wiping my fingers and she sets it in the thing, and it's like beep. Okay, you're clear, and I'm like, whew, the plutonium I was messing with last night didn't show up. So, so we we move we move through there, and then I go into the full body pat down. Have anybody ever had the full body pat down by another person, not your spouse? Okay. So here's this grown man feeling me up, you know, and so I'm like, whoa, whoa, easy there, easy, you know. And so then finally, I make it through all of that, and now I can go to my flight. Now, that whole experience is about a 20-minute experience, depending on how long the guy wants to, you know, pat you down and, and all that stuff. But, but at the end of the deal, I'm not complaining, I'm not like sending somebody an email reporting them for making me walk through all this stuff, am I? Nobody's actually even looking at me going, oh my gosh, look at that guy. He's touching him right in front of everybody. That's not happening. Why? Because it's normal now. I mean, we're all like used to it. When it first happened, you remember the first time you had to kick your shoes off when you went through the airport, it was like, oh my gosh, I've got to take my shoe. That stupid shoe bomber guy. I can, you know. And so you're all, you're all upset and you've got to take, the first time that happens, you're upset. But now it's normal for us. Back in the 60s and 70s, there, you know, there were no metal detectors. You could take whatever you wanted to on an airplane. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember being asked by stewardess if I wanted to go up into the cockpit and hang out with the pilots and see the, see the deal. I mean, if, I remember doing that as a kid. And so now, it, you, know, you can't do that, obviously. And back, actually in the 1970s, there, during that 10-year uh, period, there were 70 hijacks across the world. So the government steps in and makes some changes and a little regulation. And now we have metal detectors. And so it was abnormal at the beginning, but it became normal. And now 9-11, shoe bombers, all these things. And so we're taking our shoes off. I mean, you know, we're walking through full body scanners. And so now it's our new normal. And so in the same way, little bit by little bit, attitudes shift, language shifts, Bad habits become, you know, a part of your everyday life in your marriage. And so what was abnormal and what, you know, we think most people deal with, but do they really, are we, are, it, this is just an abnormally uh, for us, but now it's become normal. And so here's the thing, like God does not want you to experience some of the abnormal behaviors in your marriage he does not want you to experience an unhealthy marriage we don't want to settle for anything less than the best that God has for us we don't want to settle for an average marriage we don't want to settle for just an okay marriage we don't want to just settle for a business partner relationship marriage did you take the kids on time today yeah did you call the doctor yeah did you pay the bills yeah and that's like that's the extent of our conversation God has so much more for you and I to experience in our marriages. He did not create marriage to make us miserable. He didn't create marriage just so we would have a thorn in our side. He created it because when it is done through the lens of the gospel, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Christ and his church. It's a beautiful relationship where we are mutually blessing each other. And here's the key, we are experiencing true, real, authentic love, which every single person in this room, the very core of your heart, desires. And so we can't understand what true, authentic love is though until we understand the love of our Father in heaven. And as we begin to embrace His love into our life, when we begin to experience His love, then we're able to share it and and, and express it to others. So the problem is many of us haven't experienced His love on a deep enough level. We haven't experienced who He is. And therefore, because we don't understand His love, then there's no way we're gonna express that type of love to someone else. Our love is too selfish. Our mentality is too selfish and prideful to give away something that we, we don't know exists or we have never experienced. And so when I say, how do you spell love? Um, Some of you would say L-O-V. No, no, no. I'm not talking about how you spell it, spell it. What I'm I'm asking is like, how do you experience love from your spouse the most? There's a book entitled The Five Love Languages. If you've not read that and you're married or about to be married, you need to read that thing today. Uh, In that book, he goes through five different ways that we experience love. And so there's there's words of affirmation, uh, touch, quality, time, acts of service. And so all of these different things, you know, we, we uh, tend to lean towards one or two of them uh, the most. And so, you know, if you're really lucky, your wife has all five. And so good luck with that. But no, um, you know, for, for us, there's at least one that we kind of lean towards. And so understanding what your spouse really, uh, how she really experiences love is huge and, and so important. so um, when we think about that, when, when we understand that she and I are, are are completely different and completely different as far as how we even uh, understand love or experience love. You know, there's no, um, it's, it's no wonder there are so many problems if we don't understand that. But in the Bible, I wanna start in Ephesians 5.33 today, and then we're gonna go uh, to 1 John. So um, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.33, at the ultimate like core level of, of how man experiences love. Love, his ultimate love language, and then we're going to talk about the ultimate love language too of a woman. It's going to be on your screen on the screen. Ephesians 5:33 says this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So a man's ultimate desire is to be respected by his wife. And a woman's ultimate desire is to be loved by her husband. So it's not that a man doesn't wanna you know, feel loved and it's not that a woman doesn't wanna be respected, but at the end of the day, it is a man's like in our DNA that our love language and what we desire most from our spouse is respect. And at the end of the day, the thing that that woman needs the most, men, is love. And so I know what a lot of ladies might think like, well, you've got to earn respect, Trent. You know, you got to love unconditionally and respect is earned. That's what we hear a lot. But when I read Ephesians 5.33, it says nothing about and let her respect her husband if that bum deserves it. You know, that might be your translation, but that's not a biblical translation. No, you see, a man from God's word desires unconditional respect. So that means you give respect even if he doesn't deserve it or hasn't earned it. And you see, a man wants that unconditionally. And and for a woman, she wants love unconditionally, obviously. But what do we do in marriage? We so often base our love and our emotion and our attention and affection based on what the other person is doing for us. If she's you know, fulfilling my uh, you know, physical needs, and I love you, babe, can I do this for you? Can I do that? But the minute that's out the door, then it's like, psh, not getting, not getting my time. I'm just going to stay at work, I'll stay with my buddies you know, and the flip side is true as well. You know, if, 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 if a woman doesn't feel, you know, love from her husband, then she can tend to, you know, act a different way as well. And then that's where the abnormal sets in and it becomes our new normal. Let me give you an example, ladies, of how this really plays out practically in a marriage. Um, and, and so this might seem little, but it's huge for a man. So respect is, is the ultimate love language of a man. So, so you, your husband, lady, ladies, he's he's telling a story and he's like, oh yeah, we were going down and the sky was blue. And then the wife steps in and says, oh, wait, wait, wait honey, this guy wasn't blue. It was kind of overcast. Okay, whatever. And so we were in my car and we were going, oh wait, honey, wasn't your car. It was my car, you know? And then throughout the story, the wife jumps in to correct the man. Now, how frustrating, you know, for men when that happens. I mean, if, that's, if you're a man and that frustrates you, can you just give a little amen? amen. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Now, ladies, you may not realize it, but that is um, directly going against his ultimate love language of respect because that's just disrespectful. Is it really so important that there were a few clouds in the sky and he said that there weren't? And if it is that big a deal to you, could you just wait until you get home to express that, hey, you got the story a little confused. There weren't, you know, it wasn't a blue sky. It was, you know, several clouds. Okay, thank you. I'm glad that we can, you know, get on the same page now. Um, And so, so, you know, that's a silly example, but the reality is true. And so you've been around other couples and marriages where this bickering happens and I'm correcting and then he's correcting and it's just disrespectful. It's a little thing, but it's a powerful thing. You know, ladies to begin to, you know, show respect because usually in front of the crowd is when the stories are are taking place and then the disrespectful things come in. So the flip side uh, can just completely transform your husband, ladies. Um, because here's what, you know, a man wants to know from you. He wants to know that he is good at, well, everything. <laughs> and he, I mean, the, the flip side of this is that he wants to know that he is good at being a husband. He is good at work. He is good at whatever hobby. he He's good at mowing the gra- grass. He's good at everything that he does. I mean, we're just grown little boys. And what does your little boy do? You know, when he runs around, he runs around flexing his muscles and he's like, mommy, look how big my muscles are, you know? And at the core of every guy in the room, it's like, you know, we, we desire that our spouse know that we are the man, you know? And so, so the flip side of that whole little interrupting deal is a woman who in front of the crowd praises her husband and lifts him up and says, you know, positive things that encourage him and positive things about how he is a husband or positive things about how he, what, how he provides or how he supplies or how he sacrifices. And then by doing that, you're showing love and increasing the value of your relationship. So a man, it says, um, it, actually it says for the wife, see that she respects her husband. And so a woman's greatest desire is to be loved and yes, loved unconditionally. And I think most men have a big picture of what that means and what that looks like. Like, yeah, unconditionally, we need to love her unconditionally. I do. But then the minute she does something, our, you know, our nature is to be harsh and we come across harsh because our voices are deeper, we're usually bigger and stronger. And so, you know, our, our demeanor, our, our body language just presents this, I'm gonna strangle you sometimes. And we don't have to say anything, it's just the look on our face or our body language that, you know, intimidates. And so um, I think it's important for men, if we're gonna show love unconditionally, first and foremost, it's, it's in our body language, it's in the tone of our voice, and it's obviously with our words. And so one one example of this is a man who um, comes home from work and um, obviously frustrated from whatever happened at work and doesn't say anything to his wife. Immediately he comes home and they jump into the car uh, because they've got to take their son to his baseball game. And so all all the way to the baseball field, he doesn't say a word to his wife. And as soon as they get to the baseball field, they jump out of the car and realize they forgot their son's glove. And so the first thing the man says to the wife all day is, I can't believe you forgot his glove. And now what you've just communicated to your wife is that you're never good enough for me. It's like, I didn't say that. She's good enough. She just forgot the glove. No, 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 no. You see, how we express ourselves, how we say things communicates underlying messages to our spouse, whether we realize it or not. And by communicating in that way, in that form and with that demeanor, we're, we're, we're telling her without saying it, that you're not good enough for me. And she's going to interpret it that way, which means you don't love me unconditionally, which means that your relationship is broken, and so that, that distance begins to separate a little bit more and the callousness in the, the, the heart you know, hardens a little bit more and the barriers are built up a little bit more. Just another day in our house where my husband shows me and, and pretty much tells me that I'm not good enough for him and he doesn't love me. And the only way that he's gonna love me is if I remember everything, if I do everything and if everything at home is perfect and if I don't do all that stuff, then he just doesn't. Really care. And I know what some guys are thinking. You're like, you know, you know how, how do I win? <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I don't want her to feel that. But how do I win? It seems like everything that I say upsets her. <laughs> Anybody, any guy ever said that? Like everything I say seems to upset her. So, so here's the deal it, the, the point is this you don't have to figure out why what you're saying is upsetting her. You just have to understand that it's upsetting her. Does that make sense? Sometimes I feel like we spend way too much time figuring out why it hurts or why what I said was wrong. When really, let's just skip that because it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, she's hurt. So how can I repair a broken heart? How can I, you know, uh, uh, fix something in her heart, in her mind, that I've done against her. So I don't have to understand why, I just have to understand that it did. And so that frees me up a little bit, I, I, at least for me, like I don't have to figure it out because at the end of the day, guys, we're never gonna figure them out, okay? We're just not gonna figure out how, uh, the complexity of a woman. We just don't. And so we don't, we, don't feel, we don't need to feel like we have to figure it out. We just need to understand that this is where they're at and this is what's hurting and this is what's wrong. And so how can I change so let's look to the Bible to see what real love truly is. This is how the Bible spells love. It's in 1 John 4. If you've got your Bibles, go there. Go to Revelation and then take a left. It's just a few pages to the left if you've got your Bible. I hope you bring your Bible. It's so much cooler to have your Bible to make notes in and um, great example for your kids to have your Bible and uh, to see this. Um, but if you don't, it's on the screens. Verse seven is where I wanna start. He says this beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God so so let's just pause here for a second let us love one another so we're called to love others okay especially our spouse for love is from God so so Love for my spouse, I don't manufacture my heart. Love comes from God. So if I wanna love my spouse more, again, it goes back to my relationship with God. God, give me love for my spouse. God, show me how to love her. Show me how to uh, you know, express my affection for her. You know, Create in my heart affection for her on a deeper level, God, because love comes from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you are not a believer here today, I would submit to you from God's word this morning that you don't understand love, nor will you ever understand love until you understand the love of Jesus Christ. Because he says very clearly that love is from God. So if I'm not born of God, if I don't know God, then I'm not a believer, therefore I cannot love truly. On the depths of what this passage speaks of at least. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If you're taking notes today, the first way that God spells love is in this. Love takes initiative. Love takes initiative. So verse nine, in this, the love of God was made manifest. In other words, it was made real. It was brought to us. He expressed us, uh, expressed it. He showed us that it wasn't just a theory of love. It wasn't an idea of love, but he showed us that he does love us because it was manifested. It was made real. Jesus walked among us. He sent his son to the earth to die for us. He took initiative in this thing we call Love. Now, men, I challenge you to take initiative in loving your spouse take initiative in in reading the book, take initiative in going to counseling, take initiative in apologizing, take initiative in showing and expressing love. Maybe it's in gifts, maybe it's in acts of service, maybe it's in words of affirmation, but we're not going to sit back and wait any longer for her to get her act together or for her to show us the love and respect that We think we deserve, but no, I'm going to take initiative. I'm going to make the first move here because this is what imitating God's love looks like. God initiates love for us. Let's continue. He says this, he says, So that we might live through him And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So I didn't love him first. And then he reciprocated by sending me Jesus it would not happen that way at all. He loved me first. He was the initiator. He sent Jesus despite my imperfections and faults and failures and rebellion. He sent Jesus. That's unconditional. Despite your spouse's failures, despite how she's hurt you in the past, despite the fact that she may not be showing you respect like you, you know, when I, when I say that, you're like, yes, 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 yes. Despite the fact that she's not, then you're gonna initiate love Anyway, God is the initiator in love. John 10, 18, it says, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus wasn't forced to do this. He says, I'm laying this, I'm laying my life down on my own accord. I'm going to the cross on my own accord because I love and I want and I'm initiating this love for my people. And verse nine, again, He says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, so that we might live through him. The second point is this, love moves for the good of another. Jesus came so that we might live. Without him, we're not living without him in our life, without us pursuing him, then we don't know what real true life is without understanding our purpose through the cross and our purpose through what, how God wired us and created us. Then, then we do not know what real life is. It's through Jesus that we live. And this love has moved for our good. And so when we look at our selfishness, when we look at our um you know, our ego and so how we try to manipulate our spouse. And so I'm going to do this so that she'll do this. Then we see the love of Jesus that says, no, I move for the good of the other. I move for the good of the other. So I'm doing this because I love. I'm doing this because I want to show love, not because I want something back, not because I, I, you know, I need something on, not, not because of any other reason other than the fact that she is my wife. I vowed to love, cherish, and honor her. And this is how I'm going to fulfill that vow. I'm going to initiate love. I'm going to move and, and act towards that love for her good love moves for the good of the other look at verse 10 in this is love not that we have loved god but he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins if you're taking notes love is sacrificial love is sacrificial He says that this son came and and he was the propitiation for our sins. Now, we don't use that word very often in our English language, but it's a very important concept in God's word. We went through it when we went through the book of Romans. But for those of you that might not have been here, that just simply means this. Okay, So God is a righteous judge. He is a righteous God. He always does what is right. Sin must be punished. Sin cannot go unpunished. If he does not punish sin, then he is not a righteous God. It's the same would be true in the city courts downtown. If a judge was, was trying a man who uh, confessed openly that he committed murder and he murdered his wife. If that judge were to say, well, I appreciate you confessing that you murdered your wife. I'm going to let you go free. This time, just don't murder anyone else. Okay. All right. Goodbye. No. Is this a righteous judge? Of course not. We'd ask for his job. We'd ask to put him on the stand. You know, we want him gone. Why? Because that would not be right. That would not be just. And in the same way, God cannot just say, your sins are forgiven. Adios, good luck. Way to go. Try harder. No, sin must be punished for him to be righteous. And so propitiation means that on the cross, Jesus is going to die as a sacrifice for us and through that death he is making a payment for you and I and when God looks at the cross his wrath towards sin is appeased it is satisfied through the death of Jesus that is the payment and it's through Jesus that in that payment that now I have access to God I have access to heaven I have access to salvation and so that's what propitiation means he was our sacrifice that appeased God's wrath instead of God pouring out his wrath on me he poured his wrath out on Jesus he was the sacrifice you see that's love he made the move for my good he initiated it and he sacrificed for me you see for your spouse you've got to sacrifice for her you've got to sacrifice time you've got to sacrifice energy you've got to sacrifice money I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, marriage is all about sacrifice. If you want a healthy marriage and you think that you're not gonna have to sacrifice what you want, you are living in a fantasy world. That is not true love. Love is demonstrated when we see it in the Bible as a sacrificial gift. I am giving up what I want so that you are blessed and encouraged. That's it. You say, but what about me? I deserve, you've been watching too many movies, bro. You've been reading too many stupid books and you need to get on your face before your God and realize what this book says about love because you're not living it. And it's your life that's ruined. Not to mention your kids because they're picking up on that junk as well. God sacrifices, he shows us what it looks like and we want to imitate him. Here's a quote from Paul Tripp. He says this. Let's put that up on the screen. I love this. You can't say it any better than this when it comes to sacrifice. Love calls you to be silent when you want to speak. Oh, that is so true. And to speak when you would like to be silent. Oh, it always does that. Love calls you to act when you would really like to wait and to wait when you would really like to act. I really wanna just punch something. you know. Love calls you to stop when you really wanna continue. And it calls you to continue when you really feel like stopping. Love requires you to lead when you really would like to follow and to follow when you really wanna lead. Love again and again calls you away from your instincts and your comfort Love always requires personal sacrifice. Love calls you to give up your life. You see, the, and the reality is when we begin to walk and embrace this kind of love, that's when we are truly living in Jesus. That's when we're truly living life to the fullest. But we see this and it goes against everything in our mind, doesn't it? It goes against everything in our heart when it comes to relationships. It goes against everything we usually see and read about through books and movies and TV. And it goes against everything in our heart because our heart is sinful. Love is sacrificial and God demonstrates that to us. Look again at verse 10. Not that we loved, but he loved. I can't get over that. I can't get away from that. And so if you're taking notes, number four is that love does not require anything in return He moves first. He takes initiative first. I didn't love him first. He loved me first and came to me and he drew me. And so if I want to imitate this kind of love, then I've got to have the mentality that love does not require anything in return. In other words, when I love, when I ask for forgiveness, when I express my love to my wife, I can't walk into that situation thinking, if I give this, then she's going to give me this. And when that thought enters my mind, I want to say, no, 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 I don't don't even want that. I'm not even gonna let my mind go there. I'm gonna seek forgiveness. I'm gonna say, I just want to show you love. I just wanna give this to you for your benefit, for your good, and I'm not requiring anything in return. Romans 5.8, but God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If God would have waited on me to love him first, before he sent Jesus, we wouldn't know Jesus. If God was waiting on you to love him before he showed us love, then we would never know Jesus. See, God demonstrates his love even when we're sinners. And so if I wanna have a healthy marriage, I've gotta demonstrate my love to my spouse even when she is being sinful. I don't have to accept the sin and I wanna have boundaries, uh, which is another great marriage book, by the way. It's called Boundaries. But I'm not gonna not love her and express my love to her even despite her shortcomings and then number five finally love is not earned or deserved because again he loved us first so it's i don't love my spouse because she deserves it necessarily i love my spouse because christ commanded me to love He says it very clearly let us love one another done (laughs) let us love one another you know we could read it all throughout scripture but that one statement is enough for us to be directed and encouraged like we're we're called to love our spouse we made a commitment to her and we made a commitment before God to love her and so when we when we look at this we we know that it's not something that she earns or deserves I just love her because I'm called to love her love is most needed when it's not deserved It's not that we love God first, it's that he loved us first. And so, um, you know, there's never gonna be a day in your marriage when you're not gonna have to take initiative to resolve a situation, you know? It's never just gonna work its way out. Maybe some of you are in a marriage where there's a problem, there's obviously an elephant in the room and nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room and you're, you're both offended and one person is saying, well, she needs to ask for forgiveness first. Because she said this, and the wife is thinking, well, he needs to approach me and ask for forgiveness first because he said this, and it's his fault. And then it's a pride standoff. You know, who's gonna say it first? Well, I'm not going to because it's, she needs to first because she did. And then, you know, that abnormal reaction becomes your normal part of how you do life. And you never speak about anything as it relates to love or your feelings, You never speak about spiritual matters. All your communication with your spouse ends up being is just about business. Kids, work, school, you do this, you do that. Make sure you pay that bill. And we we don't experience the love that Christ has called us to to experience and to enjoy. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.